Welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. So I recently started a series on uh, the main points of doctrine, and I do plan on continuing that discussion today. A, a couple episodes ago, we talked about Scripture as our starting point, and so today we're going to transition into the Trinity. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those doctrines that is difficult to understand, yet we joyfully affirm it because the Scripture affirms it. Uh, we don't dismiss things just because they're hard to understand. Uh, and the difficulty with this particular doctrine is that our fallen human attempts to eliminate the apparent tension will inevitably either confound the persons or divide the substance. That's a statement taken um, from uh, the Athanasian Creed. Basically, we are seeking to avoid definitions that diminish God's unity or diminish his distinctiveness. This three-in-one is a difficult concept to understand, and and I think actually we diminish one or both of those aspects when we try to use human illustrations to uh, define him. And just for one example, probably the one that I hear the most common is the example uh, of of water, where you have the ice, vapor, uh, and liquid form of water. And so the Trinity is supposed to be like uh, like the three phases of water. It's one, but it's three at the same time. Uh, the problem with that illustration, and as I mentioned, all illustrations fall short, but the problem with this particular one is it commits the heresy of modalism. Uh, modalism is where God is three modes or manifestations of the same person. Basically, that heresy is like God has three different hats, and so today he's doing things that are kind of in the sun role, you know, uh, and so he wears that hat, and then he's got the father role, so he wears that hat the next day, and then the next day he's doing something else, so he's doing the Holy Spirit role. Um, this particular heresy of modalism attacks the distinctiveness uh, in the Trinity, um, and, and as I said, there's no good illustration that I know of that fully captures this concept. So um, let's go ahead and get started in really maybe um, looking at some texts to understand the Trinity. There's a lot of things we could cover. I'm just trying to highlight a few of them um, for just the sake of uh, today's podcast. But first off, I want to look at the Old Testament before we get to the New. Uh, Genesis 1.26 is one of the very first hints that we have of the Trinity, where we read this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God refers to himself in this verse, uh, in the plural. He says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, you want to remind us that this is not conclusive evidence for the Trinity, uh, there is such a thing as the majestic plural, that is uh, a plural of majesty, where um, it could be uh, a, a plural used to highlight God's his, uh, transcendence, his importance, his uh, kingship, his majesty. Uh, it allows for the Trinity, though, 
Uh, and it allows the New Testament to expand on that and, and give it more definition. So I'm suggesting to us it is more than just the majestic plural, um, but it's not a conclusive uh, statement on the Trinity, and that's, of course, why we do need the New Testament to expand on it more. Another Old Testament example is where two separate individuals are referred to as God. Uh, so we have Psalm 45, 6 to 7, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So of particular interest here is God, your God, and there's two different individuals referred to as God. Uh, we do have a divine commentary on this, by the way, if I can sneak into the New Testament a little prematurely here, um, but that uh, is in Hebrews chapter 1, where we are told that this psalm is referring to the Son. There's a second example in the Old Testament of the same thing, where you have two individuals in the same verse referred to as God, and that's in Psalm 110 verse 1 where we have the Lord says to my Lord. And so we have two individuals referred to as Lord here. Jesus actually comments on this verse in Matthew 22, where he concludes that the Messiah must be more than merely the son of David in Matthew 22:45. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And so Jesus capitalizes on the distinction in Psalm 110:1, the Lord said to my Lord, the two instances there. In addition to those two passages from the Old Testament, we also have Psalm 2, where God is said to have a son in verse 7. Uh, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so what these Old Testament texts do is give us the initial whispers uh, that will turn into shouts in the New Testament. God's revelation is progressive, which means that he didn't reveal everything at once, but over the course of thousands of years, uh, he gave his people uh, his word. And so with that being said, uh, I do want to spend a little bit of time in the New Testament as well and just make some connections on uh, the Father being God, the Son being God, the Holy Spirit being God. And so first off, regarding the Father, uh, of course, multiple passages that we could go to. Uh, in fact, this is, I think, um, the easiest one of the three for people to digest. Uh, seems to be natural that the Father is God. But Ephesians 4, 6, uh, one God and Father of all is the statement we have there. We also have 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. We also see that the Son is God. Uh, and in fact, since the deity of Jesus is most often uh, attacked, uh, the most often attacked part of the Trinity, especially by the cultists, I'm going to give just a few extra verses here for you to jot down. I'm, I'm going to read uh, a few verses, but I'll list off a few extra. Specifically, there are seven verses in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is referred to with the Greek word theos, or uh, God. And of course, uh, the first one that comes to mind is John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Of course, you know that Jehovah's Witnesses uh, change that verse so that it reads the word was a God. And so I would not suggest 
getting into a debate about uh, Greek words uh, with a Jehovah's Witness, uh, unless you happen to be highly skilled in that area. But I would suggest six other passages uh, that also reference Jesus with the word theos, and that is uh, John 1.18, John 20.28, Romans 9.5, Titus 2.13, Hebrews 1.8, and 1 John 5.20. Of course, there are other claims to deity besides the explicit uh, title God being given to Jesus. Um, one interesting proof is when you take the joint passages of Isaiah 44 and Colossians 1. This one is uh, an interesting one. In fact, I actually, we had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to our door, uh, I think it was last year, and uh, came back a couple of times, actually, and this is one of the passages that I used uh, when I had a conversation with them. The first passage is Isaiah 44, 24, where we read this, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things. Okay, so you've got God identified as creator who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So you have two explicit statements in Isaiah 44, 24, that were were identifying God not only as the creator, but as the exclusive creator. He did it alone and he did it by himself. And that's very interesting because when you take that to Colossians 1.16, you find out that Jesus himself is identified as the creator. And so in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, that is, of course, Jesus, as the context tells us, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so what you may find interesting uh, is... Uh, that the Jehovah's Witnesses, since we're talking about them at the moment, in the New World Translation, which is their translation of the Bible, they have added a word in Colossians 1.16, and this word is not in any manuscripts at all. It's simply added uh, to avoid the obvious conclusion. If Isaiah 44 and, and uh, Colossians 1 taken side by side clearly indicate that Jesus is God, because Isaiah 44 says uh, God alone created, and then Colossians 1 says Jesus created. And so the conclusion that you must draw is that Jesus is God. They are the same, um, they are the same being. And so what the Jehovah's Witnesses do is they add the word other. And so what it says then in their translation is, for by him all other things were created. And then later on in the verse, all other things were created through him and and for him. Uh, however, all hope is not lost uh, because the Jehovah's Witnesses have not altered John 1.3. And so uh, if, one, if a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, you can take Isaiah 44, uh, alongside of John 1.3 instead of Colossians 1.16, because John 1.3 says this, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so you have Jesus uh, being identified as the creator, and not only that, what, uh, what John is writing is there was nothing, ma- nothing that exists was made without Jesus. Jesus created 
everything, which means that he could not be created because if he was created, then he would not have created himself. Uh, And so um, he has created all things. To explore this a little bit further, one article that I found helpful uh, is an article by Greg Kokel. You can actually just Google this. It's called How to Use the Back of a Napkin to Prove to a Jehovah's Witness that Jesus is God. Now, of course, I want to caution you in this as well. This is not about winning a debate or an argument. Uh, it, it is about winning souls. And the reason that this particular discussion is so crucial is because the deity of Christ is essential to salvation. Uh, this is this is not like another issue, uh, like baptism, that is important, uh, but uh, does not directly affect your justification or your standing before God, if you said, say, the mode of baptism or whatever. Um, your view of the deity of Christ directly affects your salvation. And so, in order to be saved, you have to have this right. And so that's why this conversation is worth having uh, when uh, when they come to uh, come to your front door. Um, and so, as I said, uh, you Google that article, uh, how to use the back of a napkin to prove to a Jehovah's Witness that Jesus is God, and I think that'll be a helpful one to you. And, and they use these uh, two passages here, uh, Isaiah 44 and John 1-3. I think it's John 1-3. It may be Colossians 1, but I'm pretty sure it's John 1-3 that's used in that. Um as far as uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, so we, we've touched on the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, a couple verses used for that, Acts 5, 3, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And so uh, Peter accuses him of lying to the Holy Spirit, and then in the very next verse, we read, you have not lied to man, but to God, and so the Holy Spirit and God are identified as being the same uh, being. Uh, lying to the Holy Spirit is the same as lying to God. We also have 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And of course, there are many more verses in each of these categories, um, and if you're interested in those, feel free to reach out to me, um, and uh, I can I can uh, get those to you, and there's plenty of other resources and places you can find them as well uh, and look those up. Uh, but for the sake of the rest of the podcast, I want to briefly discuss a couple of practical uh, applications. Uh, first off, the doctrine of the Trinity gives us an example of the different roles within the Godhead while preserving their equality. Uh, so, in other words, we don't have some, uh, we don't have, you know, the Holy Spirit being inferior to God the Father or God the Son. Um, they are all equal. They have different roles, but they are all equal. Uh, and this reminds us, to, to, to make this perhaps maybe a little bit practical, it reminds us of the biblical view of men and women that we call complementarianism. And what we mean when we say complementarianism is that men and women are both created equal, and yet they are different. Both men and women have an equal standing before God. They have equal footing at the cross. And at the same time, God has given them different roles in the home, the church, um, and by the way, this is a good thing. Uh, the Trinity shows that to us. The Trinity shows to us that you can have different roles 
uh, without uh, eliminating or reducing equality in some kind of a way. Another application from the Trinity is, uh, we really kind of already discussed a little bit, but just to be better equipped when talking to people in different cults. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, as we've been been talking about, but many other cults. uh, In fact, I don't know, um, I I can't think of a cult that um, believes in the deity of Christ. I think this is accurate to say that every cult denies the deity of Christ. Um, And so that's going to be an area where um, it will be helpful to uh, to know some of those passages to go to. Uh, there's also a practical application in the Trinity in knowing how to pray. So while we typically pray to the Father through the Son, we can address all three members of the Trinity in our prayers. Uh, we may consider addressing you know, particular areas where, where they are involved, where their, their roles are. For instance, the Holy Spirit has a unique role in convicting of sin. And so uh, we could pray to the Holy Spirit that... Um, uh, he would convict uh, our friends, relatives, whoever of their own sins so that he might draw them uh, to Christ and to repentance. And so um, the Trinity can give us just a few applications here of uh, roles, men and women, uh, ministering to the cults, and knowing how to, uh, how to pray uh, more effectively. Okay, I think that's all I've got for today, so thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at Crossview.org.